the most important part is the idea, the message, the, the communication of what's valuable. We can fix the spelling. We can fix the punctuation. We can fix the sentence structure. We can fix the continuity. That's all, that, that's all things that you can send to the repair department. But we can't send your, your, your ideas. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Donna. Donna, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you, Michelle. So tell everybody who you are and what you love to do. Hmm. Well, you've already given everybody my name, Donna. So that, that's probably the most important part. Uh, it's important to remember the other part, too, which is Donna Dahl. What do I do? I love to marry two different, two different pieces of my world. One is that part of my world where I am an empowerment coach. I love to work with you in, in order to help you build your confidence, uh, build, build your brand, build your identity, build the direction that you're going to head toward. And if I could marry that with the possibility that what you might do is write a book that would build your platform, that would expand your voice and augment the authority with which you present yourself to the world, then I'm in my happy place. <laughs> nice. I love it. So how did you get into, into the coaching and the book side of things? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> we might have two long. stories and pick whichever one you want first. <laughs> long story short, uh, where I've ended up today has been largely by invitation. Uh, it be, all began when Ilika Ray invited me to write an article for the magazine that she was publishing at the time, Rising Women. And I put together that first article that took me three weeks to produce a, a thousand words. And then somebody came along and said, you know, there's a book in there. You know, the, exactly the same kind of thing I now like to do to poke other people to say, you know, there's a book in there. And they go, no. Well, guess what I said? No. But I kept being prodded. And I am most appreciative that I was because 14 months later, I had my first book. Yay! And that, and that book launched my coaching business. Nice. And I've subsequently written uh, a total of six books and uh, thousands, thousands of words that have been uh, published in print uh, and or online. Nice. So clearly you've become a prolific writer. Let's kind of backtrack in that moment before <laughs> when you were getting poked and prodded. Was there anything inside of you that said, yeah, I'm an author, or were you like, didn't even hit the radar, like was like totally out of scope or where were you, where were you at kind of mindset wise about writing books before the article? Well, um, a couple of things come to mind, Michelle. Uh, one is that 
I think we all experience uh, places and times where we have a fleeting moment. You know, it just kind of, you know, goes in one ear and out the other or one eye and out the So there I am in high school and, and we're doing this thing of, you know, pick what you want to be when you grow up. I don't know. I'm still growing. I <laughs> And one of the, of course, the A's are the first in the list because it goes the alphabetical order. And I come across this word that says author. Well, I, I think it was lasted long enough to leave an imprint, but not enough to make an impression. So uh, I never really was much of a reader per se, because there weren't a lot of books around uh, so reading ended up becoming something that was important to me at university. I needed to read. I mean, you can't pass a course without reading thousands of words. So I'm, really, really heavy books back. <laughs> really heavy books. And, and then subsequently in, in my professional life, I ended up as uh, editor of a couple of professional publications. And, uh, and it's, it still didn't really grab me that I would write a book because, I mean, books are written by famous people, right? <laughs> book, books are written by people who have enormous stores of knowledge to dispense to the world. And I didn't really put myself in that category. But what I've learned through the writing process is that... Uh, we grow as we write. We we expand who we are and what we have to say as we write, and it's it's a very humbling experience. And I uh, I particularly enjoy the opportunity to work with writers as they begin to develop their voices and the message that they want to share with the world. Because it, no, it doesn't take mountains of knowledge uh it just it takes a commitment to to do the project nice i love that well and i'm sure every famous author in history would agree that they didn't start off famous <laughs> 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 you know it takes a couple of books to get there even socrates didn't start out famous <laughs> it was writing a book and moving his way on Nice. Well, and I know that there's a huge learning curve in it, much like speaking, right? The first time you get up and speak, your knees are knocking, you're sweating, you forget what you're going to say, maybe, or you were really well practiced. I'm just giving you my scenario. <laughs> <laughs> when I got up there, I was like, I, I'm doing what? Okay. Uh, and it's funny with my first book, um, I read or I wrote that years ago now. And one of the reviews I got was she doesn't know how to entice the reader to to move on and I said well that's not a very flattering review I don't think I want that review and she goes okay um but then I I picked up my book the other day because my dad had grabbed it and was reading it and so I picked it up started reading it and went wow that is not enticing <laughs> okay she had a point maybe I could rewrite this I'm a little more enticing at the beginning I just go like Boom, information drop, here you go. This is what we're doing. You may or may not be interested. 
a rewrite is always possible. <laughs> exactly. The fun part about books. And I think too, on that note, that a lot of reader or writers, potential writers, get stuck on it has to be perfect. Have you ever experienced that? You know, <laughs> if, if we have stumbling blocks in the world, it's probably <laughs> labeled perfectionism. <laughs> the perfect, uh, we want things when they're going to be located in, in our national library to be as, as perfect as possible, you know, spelling, grammar, sentence structure, all of that really matters. But it, it doesn't matter to me when I'm working with writers because the most important part is the idea, the message, the, the communication of what's valuable. We can fix the spelling. We can fix the punctuation. We can fix the sentence structure. We can fix the continuity. That's all, that, that's all things that you can send to the repair department. But we can't send your 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 ideas, the the because that's the value that you bring, and that's the part that we're going to work on bringing out. So, who would you say you serve and support? I'm assuming it's mostly business people that want to book uh, write the book as a platform for their business, or is it somebody else, or is it specific within that? It's. I can't really park people into a category because I, I work with uh, with writers who are writing business material. I work with writers who are writing fiction, be it fantasy or science fiction. I, I work with people who are doing memoir. It, it really oh. doesn't it really doesn't matter because as I said, it's it's your message. It's it's the value that that you're bringing, and I mean some some of our favorite lessons probably came from from watching cartoons or watching movies, the animated movies. Yeah, we don't necessarily have to have something that feels like you know the. The, the 10 best ways to create happiness in your life. And you get to lesson number 10 and you feel guilty because you haven't implemented any of them. <laughs> All right. That never <laughs> happened to any author. No. Sure. <laughs> awesome. So that's quite the diversity. So when people are working with you, is there kind of a certain process that you take them through or is it kind of whatever they need at that time? How do you work with people? Well, when... There are not that many people that already have developed their entire book unless they've perhaps already written the entire manuscript and then we start from, from that point. But if we're starting from word one, like the first word to put on the page, I have a, I have a system that I take my writers through over the course of a four-week period so that by the time those four sessions are up, there is a solid foundation from which to proceed and while you know they're in comparing my program to other other programs where people can enter a class and be together with 10 or 20 or 30 other people who are also participating in the writing project the difference with me is that your intellectual property is 
protected because we're working one-on-one. We're working according to your needs, your your timeline, the space you have available for this, your skills, your talents, your ideas, and they never go anywhere except in the confidential setting that, that we create. Nice. I love that. So do you have a separate process for um, nonfiction, fiction, or otherwise, or do books tend to have a similar spine, if you want to put it that way? Well, I, I'm going to return the question with a question. <laughs> when, when, when you read a book, mm-hmm. do you expect to be taken on a journey that manifests something that you were in search of? Ooh. My immediate answer was yes, absolutely. When I read yeah. a a novel, yes, and then I think about textbooks and go no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's uh, just my PTSD with textbooks. Well, well it could, it it could be, but a, a textbook mm-hmm. uh, that's written for the purpose of teaching mm-hmm. may not necessarily be the same as a textbook that builds with a crescendo the same way that a story builds with a crescendo. It'd be way because more interesting in a textbook, wouldn't it? If if I can if I can help you make that textbook <laughs> evolve in the shape of a crescendo in order to keep the reader engaged, is that worth having? Hey, hey, maybe that's what she was talking about when she reviewed my book and someone missing it. So so the answer is yes, absolutely we need it. So awesome. And I did have another question for you is, because I'm thinking about writing my second book, just because, and some people are saying, just stick to chapter books because they're faster, they're easier to get out. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Can you... Please explain what, what chapter you mean book by cha- So basically, instead of writing a book, so the business right now, the working title is Business Ownership Secrets to Scaling. And I talk about system strategy, support, and state of mind, which I always do. And they're like, just cut it down. That sounds like war and peace. <laughs> just give me a, title, a chapter book on strategy. And it may even be a chapter book on something about strategies, as opposed to kind of giving you the entirety of war and peace as a book. If I was working with you, Michelle, Mm -hmm. the first place that we would start would be with your your ideal marketing plan for the information that you want to share before deciding the form that it will take when it's manifested. So each of those parts is essential what the baby looks like when it's born (laughs) and whether or not I have quadruplets. Yes. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Very. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. It's important to understand uh, the, the purpose for which you're writing the people that you want to reach makes good sense so when you're when you're kind of reading those or looking at those are you like 
I would think that if I was editing those, I, I wouldn't be even be able to kind of go, hey, this is a great book, unless if it intrigued me, I'd be going, wow, you actually intrigued me. That was awesome. <laughs> Uh, how do you feel but, when you're editing the books I guess is what I'm asking humbled filled <laughs> nice. um, with joy people who people who commit to to, to writing have um, have a high regard for being able to be alone and to to prospect that 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 space and it's it can be it can be the most beautiful imaginative remarkable space on the planet and so to be invited into someone else's personal private space it it needs to be treated with respect uh, as as well as the joy of of what ha what's happened, regardless of you know how perfect it was, uh, you you finished the manuscript like that. That's that's yay. A yay! That's a celebration. Awesome. So, what would you say is your favorite part of your business? Uh, just people, Pe people. People are looking for, for someone that can be their cheerleader, someone that can be, someone that can hold their hand, someone that can uh, motivate them, inspire them, give them honest, critical, valuable, effective feedback. Uh, that's, that's probably the most important piece of, of any relationship between a coach and a client or between a, uh, a, a manuscript coach and, and uh, a writer or even as an editor to say, you know, uh, the, this paragraph needs to stop here and it needs to be the beginning of the next paragraph in order to help your thoughts move along. Because it, be, it can be something as simple as, where do you divide the paragraph? You know, it, it took me, it took me two years to write lessons I learned from the tortoise. Two, I mean, so some people say, well, how long does it take to write a book? Well, you know, you can read all kinds of stuff on the internet that says, write a book in 90 days. Ta -da! Here we go. And, you know, you might be able to write a book in 90 hours. It's, it's not the time that, that you necessarily measure the experience by. It's when it's finished. And some things take longer than others. So some techniques to writing take longer than others. Uh, tortoise was... Uh, Tortoise wasn't uh, wasn't built in a day. And it it honestly took two years from start to finish to make that book, whereas the first book landed in fourteen months. So I mean, we know it takes nine months to birth a child, give or take. Uh, how long does it take to birth your book? I I don't know. 
Very cool. So when somebody's working with you, how do you, because I, I think you're saying, how do you help them draw the, the material out of them? Because sometimes people just kind of channel a book. It's like, bam, they, mm-hmm. they put the pen mm-hmm. paper and bam, within, you know, two days it's written and they're exhausted and they drop, but the book's yeah. written. Um, and then others are like, well, I kind of sort of think that about, you know, maybe, um, I guess, does that ever happen to your clients? And two, if it does, how do you help them through that? <laughs> how do I help them through that? Well, I'm, I'm great at, at hand-holding. So sometimes it's about questions. Questions, questions, questions. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? So sometimes it's just a, simply about listening. You know, I, I happen to think that there's a high percentage of people in the population who do their best thinking out loud. So if you have somebody to think out loud with, it smooths the path. If you have to do all the thinking yourself, you know what happens? That little naysayer voice shows up and goes, oh, really? Are you sure? I don't think so. And and so you begin to believe the negative thoughts that come forward. Uh, So working with somebody who can listen to what what you think the problem is may not even, in fact, be the problem. But thinking out loud lets the conversation evolve to a place where you can begin to take over and go back to work. So give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories of one of your clients that was maybe scrambling to get their book done, worked with you and got it done or some variation thereof. Mm. Um, Several come to mind. Uh, Yay, we got several what, stories. Start at one oh, and we'll go through them. I'm really cool with that. Are you? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll pick out all the fun uh, parts about it. One of my one of my clients, uh, a business client, wanted to become a science fiction writer. And so, I mean, that that's kind of like changing horses midstream, but uh, needed needed some support in terms of taking the initial image, the initial idea and molding it into something that would have a a story to it. And that that work, that, that initial impetus has now turned into a series of two books Yes. Wow, that's amazing. And it always amazes me when I'm watching movies, reading books, otherwise, that I can see the plot and it's maybe, you know, six sentences. And then they create this huge, you know, Star Wars (laughs) out of that. I'm like, wow, how did they do that? That that whole concept to me is fascinating and amazing and that you help people to be able to do that is paramount too. Because I think there's a whole lot, especially in fiction about the whole character creation 
Well, it's it's not just the plot. It's the, it's the, it's the setting. And then, what is what is the modus operandi that you are going to use in order to propel the story? So, will that be in the form of dialogue, or will that be in the form of narrative? So, balancing those two in, in, enable the reader to be able to hear the movie or see the movie in their heads as they're reading. When you read fiction, you have a process that takes you through uh, whether you're watching the movie or whether you're actually hearing the characters engage in conversation. Like, Can you actually hear the character spit on the floor out of ang like, and how, how does the writer make that happen? It's, it's just, it's fun stuff. That's awesome. Very cool. And you said you had a couple of those examples. So being well, able to draw out that plot and what else well, kind of happens when you're working? Well, sometimes it's voice uh, with, uh, with one writer. Uh, she was having some, uh, some difficulty in terms of completing the book because it was a, a, a semi-memoir that uh, focused on the specific manner of speaking that her primary subject had. And she wanted that, that way of speaking captured throughout the book. Uh, that was her way of, of honoring someone that had been present in, in her life. The majority of books that are written with that kind of dialect are written so that the first chapter will have the dialect, but subsequent chapters won't because it's tedious for the reader. But as this was a book of short stories, it didn't necessarily uh, follow that only the first chapter should have the dialect. And so uh, I needed to learn the dialect in order to support her book. <laughs> awesome. How'd you do that? With my ears. Well, yeah. <laughs> so my, listening to my, her, to go to YouTube, uh, what'd you do? I, I, had, I had to adopt the voice in my head. So once I, once I had the voice, it, it, it's like, it's like learning to speak with, with a Boston accent, perhaps, or a Newfie accent. You, you learn to speak it, and then it flows. Fun. Too fun. That's awesome. <laughs> well, so other than kind of perfectionism or getting those roadblocks of kind of, I don't know how to bring that voice out, what are some of the other stumbling blocks that you've noticed that people have when they come to you? They don't, I, I don't necessarily experience this because I can't recall a single time when I've experienced this with the writers that I've worked with. But before they come to me, yeah. the number one, I don't have the time. Number two, I have no idea what I would write about. Okay. Well, does writing even interest you? Does it motivate you? does is writing an interest for you we if we do not uh, as a population uh, 
begin to write our stories with greater vigor than what we have, we will not leave the legacy of our experience to future generations. So I think of an archaeological dig coming to Canada in 100 or 200 years from now, and what are they going to find as books written by Canadians? I think that we are shortchanging future generations unless we write. Whether we're writing a book that is recording grandma's recipes or whether we're writing a book of the stories that we told our children when they were growing up, or whether we're finishing off that manuscript that's stored, you know, with 150 pages uh, underneath your mattress, but it's still not a book. If you have an idea that's come to mind, a dream that you had that could make a most wonderful, wonderful story. Why is it still sitting between your ears? Can we get it out on paper? Can we manifest it so that it is available to the, to the reading public? I, I, I yearn for, for books that, that share our, our legacy that share our history, that share our experience. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be shy about writing it. When I wrote Lessons I Learned from the Tortoise, I specifically chose stories about Canadians who have done remarkable things in order to help um, illustrate the lesson. And while I, haven't gone back and reread the book in the recent past, I can tell you that uh, we have uh, we have lessons that we have learned from people like uh, the famous five who became the the instrument of women being declared as persons throughout the British Commonwealth. We have the example of people like uh, Lloyd Robertson, who sat in an anchor chair delivering the news to us in, in the media for decades. Oh my gosh, like we, there's so much, there's so much that has been uh, contributed to the Canadian landscape, and we can be part of it. We have just, we, we have but to step up and say, pick me. And, and I would venture to say, well, and I would, I don't want to say I would argue, but I would argue. <laughs> I, I think everybody around the world has that. And I think it's especially important right now that they get their words in writing, because otherwise the prolificness of social media and calling that kind of what's going on right now in our history, I think would be a shame because I don't think it is. I think it's all being written yeah. by people who want a lot of um, pomp and air. And I think there's a lot of marketing going on, like, hey, you should read this because, you know, you'll buy my stuff from me if you read it. There's a lot of misinformation. And I don't mean like 
bad news and propaganda, although there's a lot of that too. But I think there's a lot of um, things that are being written that are being written with an ulterior motive that if we don't get our stories out, if we don't get grandma's recipes out, if we don't get our culture out, uh, people will think that you know social media is the way we lived right now. And I think that would be an absolute shame. I remember reading a book once um, and I... I want to say it was like during the time of Plato, but it wasn't Plato. And it was just a story of this guy going through his day. And it was like, yeah, and this is what I ate for breakfast. And I talked to Joe and we you know, went for a walk, <laughs> just figuring out what life was during that time, during the ancient Greek time. And yeah. it was fascinating to me just because I could get into the mindset of an everyday person just doing their thing. And, and that story has lasted what ancient Greece was, Plato was, you know, I want to say 1100 BC, something like that. Like that was a long time ago. <laughs> I'd love to add to what you just said, because if we think about uh, Samuel Clemens taking the pseudonym of Mark Twain and writing about two lads, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, having a heyday on the Mississippi River, if, if he wouldn't have taken the time to create that for us, we, I'm not sure that there would have been anything else that would be so mindful, so captivating to, to share what that era was like. Mm -hmm. For young, young men, um, learning, learning to become who they were as a result of the antics that they pulled, I mean, uh, I, I, I still I still think that we're, we haven't made enough use of, of the work of Mark Twain because I, I think that we could be turning the uh, the centuries old you know barn raising thing into Tom Sawyer parties mm -hmm. where we we have everybody come and help paint the fence <laughs> or whatever else it was that needed to be done right. Now, I, and I was going to bring up the whole dialect thing that you mentioned earlier, because Tom Sawyer in particular was famous for having a dialect that wasn't, quote unquote, socially appropriate at that time. And so it created a huge uproar when he did it. And it's still creating a huge uproar, which I find fantastic. And it's like all he did was write what was which I think we need more of and an understanding so that we can understand the generations that came before us and how we want to shape generations coming forward. Yes, because I mean, literature, literature doesn't, doesn't necessarily come from, uh, from those that are the highest educated or, or those that, that have the greatest influence. We, we want uh, our literature to come <clears throat> from uh, the, the voice of the masses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I could give a, <laughs> a ton of examples that I'm going to screw up the titles and the authors. So I'm not going to do that, but look them up. <laughs> and if you have them, Donna, feel free to give them now. Um, because I totally agree. I think that the individual perspective and viewpoint of reality right now is uh, whether it's through, you know, 
memoirs, and this is exactly what happened, or through creative writing, or through the fantasies, or through business. Like, that's life. Yeah, Charles Dickens <clears throat> gave us tremendous insight in, into the life and times in Great Britain at the time of his writing. And, and uh, thanks, Charles. <laughs> uh, we're, we're delighted that you did that. Absolutely. I love it. Awesome. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start their journey for, with you? Well, they can begin by uh, booking a, a discovery call. I'm at uh, calendly.com slash Donna Dahl, D-O-N-N-A-D-A-H-L. Uh, so just to make sure you get the doll part right. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me there as Donna Dahl, D-O-N-N-A-D-A-H-L. And uh, look up my website, uh, Donna P. Dahl. Add the P in the middle, uh, DonnaPDahl.com. And you'll come across uh, some, of the, uh, some of the work that I've done with, uh, with authors in, in the recent past. There's um, uh, there's so much joy in in being able to capture the the language, the words that we want to use to communicate, and I I look forward to to having a conversation with your listeners about the magic of uh, of communication through words. I, I love it. So peeps, of course, we have all of Donna's links in the show notes. Just scroll down or, of course, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, search for Donna or Doll. We'll have both spellings just for fun, just so you can find her. <laughs> doll, Because <laughs> she is a doll, and especially when you get to meet her. You'll love her. So I have to ask you, Donna, at what point in life did you know that you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs> well... Uh, I suppose taking my book, mm -hmm. my first book, days after it was out of the box and you're looking at the baby that you've just given birth to and here I go off to a networking event for women. Uh, there were I, I did the numbers because I really wanted to pay attention to the numbers. 32 women attended this event. And I had a table with uh, an opportunity for people to enter a draw uh, in order to uh, for me to offer a prize. And I, I, the prize probably was spend some time with Donna. Uh, at that point, who the heck was Donna Doll? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, eight people signed up for the draw at 25%. Hmm, I like that number. And of those eight people, six of them ended, ended up spending time with me. And I said, well, that's a 75% close rate. I can handle that. I think I have a business. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. And an awesome business it is. Love it immensely. So, Donna, any last words for our peeps before we let go? Oh, 
This is one of my favorite questions, Michelle, because yeah. in, in Tortoise, mm -hmm. I wrote a chapter called The Afterword. And the afterword, in the afterword, it was my intention to support all those people who have who are shy, who have been bullied, who have had, who listen long and strong to the naysayer voice in, in their ear uh, and who, who might stay silent or wait for perfection to arrive. And so I wrote the following words. Challengers inspire us to take giant steps long before we might ever become giants. I am on a mission to be your challenger. I love it. You are awesome, Donna. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know how valuable it is. Oh, thank, thank you for inviting me. It's been a delight. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and join our Facebook group, Business Ownership Secrets to Scaling. We love helping you grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.